Welcome to the Unfair Podcast. Hello, I'm Ellie Groves, Managing Director for the Economic and Monetary Policy Institute at UMFIF. I'm very pleased to be joined by Vitor Constancio, former Governor of the Central Bank of Portugal and also Vice President of the ECB from 2010 through to 2018. On this podcast, we will be discussing the ECB rate hike, which happened in September, European inflation with a spotlight on Portugal, and the fiscal frameworks needed to rise to the challenges of the climate crisis, the Ukraine reconstruction, and a challenging and uncertain world. So Vitor, welcome, and I'm very pleased to have you in the studio here at OMFIF as well. So it's, it's great to have you in London. Firstly, I would like to unpack a little bit the ECB rate hike that happened in September. And so it would be great to hear your thoughts on the 0.25 policy rate hike. Well, first, let's take the drama out of it because 25 basis points, more or less, it's not uh, you know, a very substantial uh, change. Nevertheless, I was on the camp uh, of uh, in favor of not doing it uh, this time. Uh, and the governing council itself was divided, as you know. And also the markets, because until the eve of the meeting, the markets were betting that the hike could not happen and that the ECB would stay uh, on hold. I, I guessed uh, correctly that they would do it, and they did it. It was, uh, it was uh, in the cards uh, from my perspective. But I think it was not really uh, necessary because the uh, uh, euro area is going into a recession. Germany is already in a recession and there was no growth uh, during the first half of the year in the euro area. Uh, it was zero and uh, the recession uh, is around the corner. And that, of course, will impact uh, inflation, uh, taming uh, economic activity, uh, impacting uh, wage negotiations for next year, and so on. So uh, that should be factored in, uh, in analyzing uh, in a forward-looking way where inflation is going uh, in the euro area. And if we do that, uh, then uh, it was really uh, not necessary to have uh, this uh, last uh, hike. Uh, and I think market was correct in during the whole period before the meeting that the uh, ECB would not uh, do it. Thank you. And I think this feeds into a little bit around the ECB for a while and President Lagarde have said that they're stepping away from forward guidance and they're going to be data driven in their monetary policy rate hikes and their governing uh, council decisions. Yet it does seem in her wording in the press conference that President Lagarde seemed to suggest that this would be the, the last hike. Do you agree with that reading? And do you feel that that is an, a fair assessment that some have made? Well, there was a sort of contradiction between the initial statement, which was a written statement, yeah. which is uh, approved by the governing council during the meeting. And in that uh, written statement, there was a sentence that seemed to indicate that uh, indeed this would be uh, very likely the, uh, the last hike uh, before a pause, uh, because the sentence said uh, that uh, if uh, we would keep uh, rates as they are, for a long period of time, that will give a substantial contribution to correct uh, inflation. 
So that's a clear indication mm. of that the pause was being uh, thought about. But then, of course, no central bank uh, would uh, explicitly uh, convey the message that today uh, they are done. Yeah. And so there was also sentences uh, in the initial statement and during the press conference, in my view, the president tried to uh, uh, convey the message uh, that uh, they could do more or not, but that uh, they would continue to be uh, data dependent. And she denied explicitly that this was not the peak necessarily. So she tried to convey that message, but the markets interpreted, uh, in my view, uh, this time correctly, uh, that uh, this means uh, certainly a pause. Then it depends on uh, how inflation uh, and the economy will develop from now on. Uh, in my perspective, as I said, uh, the euro area will go into a recession, so inflation is uh, bound to uh, go down uh, further, uh, uh, which means that there will be no room uh, or even a discussion about further hikes. And that's uh, my assessment. Now, the market was very quick in predicting or behaving as if there would be a first cut in rates in June of next year and then a second cut in September. I think that is uh, not likely. Uh, I don't see the ECB uh, starting cutting uh, before late next year, uh, certainly not in the first half of the year. They will stay uh, as they are. Uh, of course, dependent also where inflation goes. If it would go down very quickly, then they would have to really consider, but it's dependent on, on that. And really, it's very difficult to, uh, to predict, especially because now we have a new factor, which is the increase in the price of oil, that it was not expected that the Arab countries plus Russia, the OPEC plus, uh, would be able to cut supply again, and apparently they are willing to do more if uh, need be, because they want to keep the prices high, while the uh, world economy is not in a recession. So they try to exploit their monopolistic uh, position in the market to do that. And that, of course, is, uh, is now uh, being reflected in oil prices and uh, in, in a little while, in all energy uh, products uh, in uh, in our countries so that is uh, a bit of a setback but for the rest uh, the inflation is is going down and with the recession wage negotiations for next year will be very moderate uh, indeed so that's another uh, contribution to services inflation uh, in particular and also there is the uh, discussion about core inflation yeah. And the concept of core inflation that is used, which is just to deduct uh, the uh, inflation in uh, food and energy from the overall uh, index, is not really a core inflation. Because the concept of core inflation is, uh, ideally, uh, the indicator that would exclude completely the more volatile elements of inflation. And uh, if you just take out uh, directly energy and food, you leave behind in all the other services and products, the indirective effect of uh, uh, energy and food hmm. uh, stays there as costs for the other items. 
And so yeah. the, it's not the full extraction of the volatile elements uh, uh, on inflation. The ECB as the Fed have a different indicator that uh, tries to extract everything. For the case of the ECB is the PCCI, hmm. the Persistent Common Components Index. And that, that indicator tries statistically really to isolate what are the more persistent structurally uh, uh, elements of inflation. And that indicator, for instance, a year ago was at 6%, not very different from uh, the uh, other indicator, but now, now, just now, is at 2.5% only. That, uh, you know, more persistent elements of the inflation. And that's, in my view, a better indicator of the underlying inf inflation and the drivers that are uh, underlying the process. So that indicates that uh, indeed, uh, uh, if we exclude extreme shocks again, uh, indicates that inflation is really uh, to go down uh, next year in a significant uh, in a significant way. And I am expecting also that uh, uh, the inflation also core so-called core inflation, the way uh, they calculate it, all central banks do it that way, that it will go down to below five before the end of the year. So, uh, and that's my view. So I think that the latest projections for inflation published by the ECB are still a little bit on the high side. And I am expecting certainly a lower inflation than those projections show. So I guess part of this is also that the euro area is obviously not just one country. You're looking at many different countries with different uh, different inflation figures themselves within it. A part of that is also the story that Portugal saw a significant fall in inflation from 9.4% last year to 4.3% this year. First of all, let's unpack this a little bit, and then we'll look at the, the implications for the wider euro area intersection. So let's unpack this a little bit. What do you think contributed to this fall in inflation? Is it sustainable? And how do you see that trajectory going? Yeah, it's sustainable. And uh, the number that you mentioned for August yeah. is impacted by the uh, tourism uh, season, which was very high uh, in Portugal uh, this year. And uh, let me also remind uh, everyone that countries there are two price indexes. There are national price indexes and the harmonized European price index. Exactly. Uh, well, the prices that are collected by the statistical institutes uh, are exactly the same. The problem is the uh, weights of the basket of uh, goods and services that uh, is considered in the national index and the harmonized uh, European index. Uh, and the difference uh, is mostly due to the following. The national index just takes the uh, basket of goods and services that is purchased by the residents of the country, uh, by the nationals, which then is the relevant index for their inflation, what they suffer. And the uh, harmonized uh, European index comes also with the composition of purchases by the non-residents done in the country, basically tourists. And for countries where tourism is very important, the difference between the two indexes can be very sizable, just to give you the numbers for Portugal. Yeah. The national index 
uh, when the uh, European Armonized Index was for August 5.3, as you correctly uh, said, the national index was 3.7. And the month before, uh, mm. July was 3.1. <laughs> so uh, why is then Portugal having a little bit less inflation even than uh, other countries, especially considering the uh, national index, which is the relevant one for, for the Portuguese uh, people? Well, there are several reasons. One, nevertheless, is related to energy costs. We didn't uh, import uh, uh, gas from Russia uh, before, and we have the supply from uh, Northern Africa coming through uh, Spain. And so that always had an impact. Also, the Commission allowed Portugal and Spain to have a scheme of uh, uh, subsidies at the, the uh, producer level for energy uh, produced uh, out of gas, uh, that also helped mm. to attain uh, inflation. So energy costs were uh, uh, a little uh, uh, lower in Portugal than in other countries. And uh, also our wages uh, increases in 21 and 22 were quite moderate, not the case in 23. There is a, a certain catching up going on this year, but that's also in the past contributed to the reduction of inflation. So that basically is why uh, the, the inflation rate uh, in Portugal has been slightly below the European average. Thank you. And bringing this back, back into the context of Europe with Germany's inflation rate at 6.1%, mm -hmm. there yeah. is a disparity there. And as the ECB is looking as a whole, uh, President Nagel has said many times publicly in, in speeches he's made with ONFIF and, uh, and mm -hmm. to other organisations that when you step into that governing council, you won in that room, the presidents of the national central banks are there to represent Europe, not their country. And obviously yeah. that is correct, but I'm sure that they can't help looking at their, their own country's inflation figures when they are when they are making these decisions. So if you if you're able a little bit about the dynamic that you think might be happening in that room and the relationship that might happen between Italy, Germany, mm -hmm. Spain, Portugal uh, going forward. Well, uh, we know uh, that uh, there, there was no unanimity uh, behind the last uh, decision to hike. We don't know exactly who were the governors that dissented from the decision. Uh, we can more or less guess, yeah. but I will not... Uh, wouldn't ask you to. Want to, no, but wouldn't ask you to. So, uh, well... There is bound to have uh, to, uh, to national situations to have some influence. But I tell you, uh, most uh, governors, it's my experience while I was there for, uh, you know, uh, 18 years, hmm. uh, because I was member of the governing council as governor of the Portuguese Central Bank, and then 80, during 10 years, and then eight years as vice president. So my experience was that uh, most governors make an effort really, to think uh, in European terms. And uh, the sort of the, the discussion is always conducted in that perspective. No one uh, invokes any national considerations uh, during the debate, let's say, before decisions are taken. So yes, uh, but it's bound to have some influence. So there are differences uh, of views. 
but also it's true that uh, Germany is already in a recession, and that's something that uh, uh, also the uh, the uh, Bundesbank governor has to take into consideration because that will make a contribution by itself mm -hmm. to uh, you know uh, inflation uh, decline. And it's also another thing as inflation is going down by keeping the rates as they are or as they were before the 25 basis points hike uh, means that uh, real interest rates keep increasing uh, while inflation is, is going down if you keep the nominal rates uh, stable. So that, that's another consideration about the degree of restrictiveness of uh, monetary policy that governors have to take uh, into account. Uh, and I hope they do. Uh, so all that uh, leads me to the conclusion I already made uh, that now they will stay on hold for a long period of time. Yeah. Thank you very much. One of the conversations we had with you yesterday uh, in London, so thank you for joining us for that, was mm. around the central bank's balance sheets. Obviously, this is the other side of the central banking world mm. from the monetary policy. So the IMF have released a paper that looks at the negative balance of European central banks. And one of their recommendations is that actually the monetary policy side should see through this negative balance and that actually it shouldn't impact the monetary mm. policy decisions that are being made. Do you see see this in 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 the real world being able those two things being able to be divorced and how do you think that the fact that we are looking at a ne negative balance for central banks such as the Bundesbank in the future as well but not Italy so it plays back into the divergence of how the European central banks are experiencing this post-covid recovery and this normalization move towards QT but uh, passively even so. Well, let me say that the uh, IMF paper that you mentioned is very relevant because they did make an effort to do projections with uh, reliability, I would say, uh, about what uh, is and will be uh, up to 2030, the uh, uh, evolution of the uh, profit and loss account of central banks and how this will impact the capital position of different uh, central banks uh, in the Euro area. But they conclude correctly, uh, as you said, that uh, uh, central banks have to take monetary policy decision without considering their impact on the profit and loss account of central banks. Central banks are a public uh, entity with a mandate to achieve certain results, basically, related to inflation in the US with the dual mandate, also, uh, you know, maximizing uh, employment at the same time, so mm -hmm. making a compromise between the two objectives. In the case of the ECB, uh, there is an absolute priority to inflation in the treaty, uh, but that's what the central banks have to try to deliver. And their credibility depends on achieving that goal, not to have profits or non-profits. From a pure economic uh, point of view, uh, indeed, uh, if the uh, uh, central banks temporarily have uh, a loss, it really does not uh, hamper at all the conduct of monetary policy. Uh, let me remind you that, for instance, 
central bank uh, of the Czech Republic uh, operates with uh, negative capital for years and years, and they delivered a very orthodox uh, monetary policy. The central bank of Israel was uh, with negative capital for many years, also also delivering monetary policy. Slovakia central bank before this, and now other central banks will go accumulating losses to the point of uh, having temporarily negative capital. So that's the reality from the economic uh, point of view. And central bankers should not shy away from taking the necessary monetary policy measures because of the profit and loss account. That's their duty. And the IMF paper is correct in underlying that. Of course, in real life, uh, it's difficult to explain this to common public opinion, uh, also to parliaments, to politicians. So some controversy and commotion and noise uh, occurs when that happens. Everyone forgets that uh, during the past 10 years, central banks provided very nice profits to governments because central banks were having high profits for two reasons. First, they created money to purchase uh, government bonds. And they were receiving interest from those bonds. And the interest they were receiving were, during these, all these years, the bulk of their revenue, which then they shipped to the governments by a distribution of dividends. And that, that is, there was another source of revenue for the central banks, which was that, uh, uh, in the case uh, of the euro system, we were operating with the negative uh, interest rates. Uh, and so banks were paying the central bank just to have liquidity from the central bank. And that was another source of revenue for the central bank. So the central banks had very good profits, which then they distributed to the governments during all these years. And now that inflation surged because of the uh, energy and food price shocks, then interest rates started to, to increase, uh, as the central bank has to do, uh, of course, and now there are uh, losses, uh, which, by the way, are still uh, below all the profits uh, accumulated during all the previous years, but those are forgotten. And now everyone, everyone is uh, uh, having a commotion because the central banks uh, will have, well, uh, not all of them will have some losses. By the way, the euro system as a whole in the IMF paper, what they project is that the euro system as a whole, taking all national central banks and the ECB, will have losses in 23 and 24, will return to profits in 25, and will recuperate all the losses of 23 and 24 by 27. So it's really a temporary thing and not uh, any dramatic thing. Nationally, it will, it will be a larger losses in the case of Germany, yes. of, of the Bundesbank, uh, for the reason that to protect uh, their credit risk during the period of purchase of government bonds, they only purchase basically German bonds, which have very low and very low interest rates throughout. So the revenue they get from the portfolio of uh, German bonds that they accumulated is much lower from uh, what the central banks or national central banks also are paying to uh, their banks for the reserves they have now in the central bank when interest rates had to be increased so much. So all that escapes 
the public opinion, and I'm sure there will be some commotion in Germany. But I don't think that will be a problem that will really affect the euro system decision making as a whole. By the way, the, in the last press conference, the president was asked about these losses, and she said, well, it doesn't affect uh, central banks are not in the business of uh, doing the profits. And so that will be, I hope, the consistent line that uh, uh, central banks and central bankers thinking about their duty uh, have to uh, really be firm uh, in uh, uh, what regards the conduct of monetary policy. QE and bond purchases was necessary when we had very low inflation and we had even the risk of going into deflation in Europe. We had several months with negative uh, inflation rate back in 2014 and beginning of 15 when we decided general QE at the ECB and that had, had to be done. And the US did it much earlier uh, than that. And so that was the appropriate monetary policy. And now that there was this big inflation shock, the appropriate policy is to increase rates. And that's what has to be done, regardless of the effects on the profit and loss account. By the way, the same problem is faced by the Fed in a lesser degree than, say, the Bundesbank mm. for those reasons. But also in the UK, the, the problem is there with a the difference because the account that is connected with the purchases of bonds in the UK. Uh, from the start, there was a commitment from the British Treasury that losses, possible losses in the future when interest rates would go up, would be covered by the Treasury. And so, and the, and the Treasury now uh, is going to pay the uh, Bank of England for those losses, according to that commitment. Uh, in July, the, the Bank of England published a, a forecast of what will be those losses. They will be sizable, uh, but they will not show in the accounts of the Bank of England itself because the Treasury has to make those transfers according to the commitment that it took when the policy of purchasing government bonds started in the UK. Thank you very much. Very clear and extremely passionate there as well. So I yeah. think that that makes a lot of sense as well around the, the role of, of central banking and the role of central bankers, especially when you're looking at monetary policy. So that is very clear. We are coming to the end of this podcast, but I did want to get into a little bit about the fiscal framework. So if we're looking, we've spoken a lot about central banking and the role of inflation and interest rates. And we did speak around the the difference between inflation between Germany and Portugal and Italy and Spain and how each European country is diverging coming out of this post-pandemic, but also the reliance on oil when we're looking at the, the war in Ukraine. And so I guess, do you think that there are the fiscal currently that the European has the fiscal frameworks in place that will prepare adequately for the challenges that are ahead? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, and by the way, they had to suspend the fiscal rules for three years now. So the stability pact, uh, which is the general title of this uh, set of uh, fiscal rules that are in place, were suspended since 2020. And so they have not uh, been applied in 2020, 21, 20, uh, not 21, 22 and 23. And they still have not reached an agreement in what regards the budget for next year. 
So they may end up having to uh, maintain the suspension of the rules for next year because they cannot reach an agreement on the necessary changes. They are discussing it. They are trying to reach some uh, decision before the end of the year, but it seems it's very difficult. And by the way, it's already too late because by now, governments had to present to their parliaments the budgets for next year. So uh, without an European uh, rule in place uh, or, or, or guidance. So it's a very uh, messy situation, therefore. And there are understandable divergences uh, among the, the member countries uh, around this, because the old rules uh, are not fit for purpose anymore because there are now many demands on fiscal policy that cannot be ignored by governments and, by the way, are not being ignored. Uh, even in Germany, who is spending a lot of money and is using, uh, you know, uh, ways of doing that off balance sheet and meaning hiding uh, 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 those uh, expenditures in funds and other things that would not consolidate with the, uh, with the budget which is really not the uh, more appropriate way of conducting uh, uh, fiscal policy, but that's the reality uh, that is ongoing. And when the uh, European Commission allowed uh, that competition rules will be applied with great forbearance uh, because of the requirements of industrial policy to face the challenges of China and the US uh, law, National treasuries, Germany and France in particular, are granting huge subsidies to many activities that other countries don't have the uh, possibility of doing. So there is a sort of nationalization of industrial policy uh, that is ongoing because there is not an European uh, fund or policy dedicated to those uh, purposes. Which uh, and then on that, uh, on top of that, you have also the requirements for defense expenditures, plus the expenditures, the public expenditures necessary for the uh, objective of the greening of our economies and the commitment to reach uh, uh, net zero emissions by uh, 2050. Uh, all that puts a lot of pressure on fiscal policy uh, and the old rules really are too much uh, of a recessionary type. Uh, and. Uh, they have to be changed. Uh, in the end, everyone uh, recognizes that there must be some rules and some discipline, for sure. I uh, totally agree with, uh, with that, but not exactly uh, the rules that were uh, in place. The Commission had a reasonable proposal announced a few months ago to overall the framework around a so-called expenditure rule which would simplify enormously the whole process, which is very complex and very difficult even to understand. The Commission has to publish every year a sort of vacuum of 200 pages to explain exactly how the fiscal rules work. And that's really uh, very messy in itself. So uh, the Commission has a good proposal, which was refused by the Council so far. Now they are trying to compromise on that proposal. Uh, but still, it seems that they uh, are not reaching an agreement because Germany and, uh, and the Netherlands in particular really want to have rules that are still too uh, strict and rigid and not really 
uh, flexible enough uh, to deal with different situations of different countries. Uh, and so I still hope that something will come out of this, but certainly not in time for the preparation of budgets for next year, which basically the governments have already done. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for joining. We'll close the podcast here. I think it can be summarized in, uh, we need simplification of objectives, both on the monetary policy side and also on the fiscal framework. And that actually a focus on what we want to achieve and how to achieve it, but also without allowing too much of the politics to get in the way, I think will get us to hopefully where we need to be. So thank you so much Vitor for joining. It's been a pleasure as usual, when I come out of conversations with you, I have three or four more and a wish for another half an hour so I'm sure our audiences will be pleased to know that hopefully at some point in the future you'll be back for a further podcast but thank you very much for listening to this OMFIF podcast please do subscribe and uh, we hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed interviewing Vitor here so thank you thank you thank you for listening to the OMFIF podcast